on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. ESPN Radio 97.7. ESPN Radio Utica Rome. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board. As always, you can listen on the ESPN app. Why don't you do that? That's a great way to stay in touch with the program. You download the app, which you should have anyway, because it's fantastic. Shilling for the company a little bit. And you find the Listen tab, and you can take us with you wherever you go. I mean, it's common sense, man. Especially this week, we have certainly seen an uptick in interest from people listening from beyond the borders of Onondaga County. They want to keep up with what's happening in Syracuse. They want to keep up with the Sweet 16 talk. They want to keep up with the Duke talk. They want to keep up with how the Orange are going to take down the mighty Duke Blue Devils. I mean... No matter where you are, we, uh, for example, I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head. Our guy Marty in Tampa calls in a lot. He listens on the app, right? There's a vast world out there that the internet provides, and we are here to take advantage of it. So please, please use the app to listen. Uh, we do have a podcast too, though. If you missed the show live, uh, first of all, how dare you? Uh, but second of all, if that happens to be the case. If you subscribe in iTunes on, or to, let me start that again. If you subscribe in iTunes at Google Play, putting in ESPN Syracuse. There we go. Did I get it right? That Thank is correct. Yes, I got it. There we go. Then you will get a podcast version of this program delivered to you on your time so you can listen when you want. Here's how you get in touch with the show. Oh, there's more. 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288 288- 0644. We'd love to hear from you throughout the program. We have two guests that are going to join us. It's rare that it works out this way. It just kind of worked out that way. But back-to-back guests on the program today. We are going to talk with our friend Lauren Brownlow, 99.9 The Buzz, in the Raleigh, North Carolina, Triangle area, covering NC State, covering Duke, covering the Tar Heels. She knows ACC basketball well. She will join us primarily to discuss the Syracuse-Duke game, of course, but also to look at all the ACC teams that are heading for Omaha. It's all of them except one. Kansas doesn't have that far of a trip to head to Omaha somewhere in middle America. But you've got three ACC teams there, and the ACC field that remains in the tournament. So Lauren will give us a great perspective on that. 
Right after that, the man who knows the ACC almost better than anybody, our friend David Glenn from the David Glenn Show, will break down Syracuse-Duke and the ACC's inclusion in the tournament as well. So hashtag GoACC, baby. We will talk to Lauren at 520. We will talk to David Glenn right after that at about 535. So the uh, deck is certainly clear for you to join us until then. At the phone number 437-7644, the Twitter, Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media, or the On the Block text line, 288-0644. We'll do some hot takes and a circle around some other things, but, of course, keep most of the conversation centered on what is to come Friday night. Today is uh, travel day. The team is traveling to Omaha. The teams, all of them, right? The media's heading for Omaha. It's kind of a a quiet gap day, and then it's really going to intensify tomorrow because tomorrow you have the open practices and you have the media sessions and you're going to have Jim Beheim, Mike Krzyzewski, Bill Self holding court that will all be asked about their respective matchups, that will all be asked about the big issues in college basketball these days. So we're just going to have a lot of meat to chew on tomorrow. I'm sure that Jim Beheim will be asked about this Omaha stuff. And it all started with just... There's one column. I don't even think he's a columnist. I think he's just a writer for the Omaha, what is it, World Leader, I believe their newspaper is, who would not come on this radio station today, by the way, to discuss his article that was supposed to be like this cheeky, fun shot at Syracuse, but nobody really picked it up that way. So if you were trying to be funny and it didn't come across as funny, then maybe you didn't write a good column. Uh, My Syracuse.com colleague Katrina Tullock and I spent a lot of the day today filming a video response to that. I think you guys will enjoy this. We had a lot of fun with it. It will be out tomorrow, so keep an eye out for that. I had a little Syracuse Duke essay up on Syracuse.com today if you want to check that out. would appreciate that. So that's a thing, and Beheim will be asked about it. I'm sure he'll make some crack about Warren Buffett or the steakhouses in Omaha or something like that, right? So tomorrow is going to be a real meat and potatoes type of day, not only on the matchup, but all the big issues that are surrounding the sport. And then we'll get to Friday, and we're just going to have to kill time all day till the 9.37-ish start in Omaha. But we're getting there. We're getting over the hump. It is hump day Wednesday, getting closer to the game. And as we get closer and closer to the game, what I start to think about and what you start to think about, not that you were not thinking about this earlier in the week, is how Syracuse wins this game. It's a simple thought, but I keep coming back to something. And what I keep coming back to is they cannot beat Duke the same way that they beat Arizona State, TCU, and Michigan State. Now, it's not to say you start playing man-to-man all of a sudden. It's not to say Syracuse has to go into this game and defer from the game plan. You know, you dance with the girl you brought to the prom. You stick with your philosophy. Syracuse really has no choice than to stick to their philosophy because they only have seven players. The zone defense has been very successful. And remember, it's not just the tournament it's been successful in. If you want to use that stat of holding Arizona State to a season-low 56 points, TCU to a season-low 52 points, Michigan State to a season-low 53 points. They held Duke to a season-low 60 points. And there's a couple other teams along the way that Syracuse – dragged down on the defensive end and held them to a season low. But to expect that same plan to work against Duke this time, I don't think you can do that. Because one of the main reasons 
that you look at that first matchup and Syracuse was able to hold down Duke to a season-low 60 points was they went 2 of 18 from three-point range. At Cameron, by the way, a place where they are used to shooting the ball, it was just a weird shooting night. Syracuse tends to kind of throw that monkey wrench in the spokes of a number of teams out there. So let's just start right there. If Syracuse can somehow even just replicate what they did in Cameron back on February 24th, that was almost a month ago. Can you believe that? that, that, It was almost a month ago, and by the time Friday comes, it'll be almost exactly a month ago that they played that game. Think of the world of difference between that team and this team. But let's just say, for argument's sake, boom, same thing happens. Well, what you need is a much better offensive performance. So what I like about this, and I brought up the media stuff and everything that's going to happen tomorrow for a reason. What I think is going to happen is it is going to present a great smokescreen. Because what will the discussion be? Defense, zone, this columnist says you're unwatchable, Uh, this columnist says you're controversial, what's up with this Omaha stuff, zone, 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 zone. And meanwhile, no one is going to ask about offense. No one is going to ask about Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard, even Merrick Dolzhai getting more offensive opportunities, how Pascal can help you on the offensive end, how anybody can help you on the offensive end. Now, Jim Beheim told us on this show earlier in the week and has said a couple other places that if Syracuse is going to win this game, then they have to play better on offense, which is kind of an obvious thing to say, but it has to be said. Because what I can, and sports is a world that it is foolish to make guarantees, but I feel very comfortable guaranteeing you that Duke is going to shoot better than 2 of 18 from three-point range in this game for a number of reasons. A, they've seen the zone before and are better prepared to counter it than most other teams. B, Duke's just playing really well right now, and I know that doesn't carry over from the first and second round over the Sweet 16. You are hitting the reset button. Everything that worked for you in the previous round doesn't mean it's going to work for you in this one, particularly against Duke. Because think back to when Syracuse beat Indiana. To This was in the 2013 Final Four run. That was a four seed that got through the first two rounds. Indiana was the number one seed. They were the number four team in the country. And they had a week to prepare and think and practice and do everything they could to try and counter the Syracuse zone, but Tom Crean got his butt handed to him in that game. Just, he was lost. So now Mike Krzyzewski's in the same spot. And I think we all know he's going to do better. His team is going to do better. And here's another thing with that first game. Duke still has Marvin Bagley III and Wendell Carter. And you'll recall, Marvin Bagley... That was his first game back, again, almost a month ago. He's now just tearing it up. He's just on a roll that I think Syracuse is going to have a very difficult time stopping. I'm very curious. I haven't seen, I don't think they put it out this early, but I will be keeping a close eye on who officiates this game. Because the last game, the Michigan State game, there was a lot of whistles. Syracuse got to the free throw line 31 times, and because Hashtag free throws matter. They cashed him in. 
I'm willing to bet you, and again, guarantees are not words you should use when discussing sports. You kind of come short of that line and don't cross it. But I'm willing to place a wager with you. Not literally, because placing a wager with all of you would take a lot of time. But I'm willing to, in theory, place a wager that Syracuse ain't getting to the free throw line 31 times against Duke. I think this will be a game that is not as tightly officiated. If anything, if the whistles are going to blow, it is going to be more on the side of Pascal Chukwu, Barama, Merrick, even some of the guards piling up some fouls because they have to do what they can to make it hard on Carter and Bagley to score and get inside. And the skip passes and the ball movement that Duke will have will cause some fouls. But I'm willing to wager that this will not be as active a an officiating crew as the Michigan State game. So because Syracuse does not have a long list of answers here, you've got to look at the obvious. And the obvious is the big three needs to be the big three. O'Shea Brissett went 2 of 13 the first time Syracuse and Duke played. Tyus Battle and Frank Howard were really kind of held in check. It was a 44-point offensive performance, so everybody was held in check that night, right? The big three needs to be the big three. So my question is, while Syracuse will sit under the smokescreen of defense, defense, 2-3 zone, hey, that's wacky that Coach K is playing the zone just like you. Uh, here is Coach K discussing that, by the way, on Golik and Wingo earlier this week. We were with the national team. It's not only Jim, but Hopkins, his top assistant, who's now done a, done a great job at University of Washington this year. Uh, you know, we we practiced the, the zone for a little bit. We only used it once, and we didn't practice a lot. But when you're with Thibodeau and D'Antoni and McMillan and Monty Williams and all these guys and their assistants – you talk a lot of basketball. And so Jeff Capo, who's my associate head coach, and Mike talked a lot about the zone and drills and you know, that you use, uh, but also the mentality of, of, uh, of coaching the zone. And more so than the X's and O's, I think there has, there's a mental thing about, okay, what do you believe in this? You know, how do you get that across? What can you accept? Uh, you know, think guys who don't use the zone a lot, as soon as someone hits two threes, they say, man, that's not working. And then they go to man-to-man, and uh, the ball screen defense they have is, is not that good, And but they'll stick with man-to-man. And some some of that mentality, and Jim and Mike, you know, really, really – understand that and we learned a lot from them that is a voice of somebody who knows what he's talking about about the zone defense as opposed to somebody who is parachuting in and learning on the fly like tom crean had to a few years ago like tom Izzo kind of had to do like tcu i mean jamie dixon certainly knew about it and could speak intelligently about it but didn't have the personnel the players and the and the background to face it mike krzyzewski does now, here's a, another reason of concern and why Syracuse has to find a different way here. Tom Izzo knew O'Shea Brissett and Merrick Dolzhai by who are these guys I'm seeing on film in the short turnaround between Friday and Sunday. Mike Krzyzewski knows who these players are and can track their improvement because he's seen them. You, you get better playing for Jim. His teams get better. And two of the kids that have really gotten better is Dolzhai, who really wasn't even looking to shoot at that time 
Now he's a double-figure scorer, and you know he's an option for him. The other guy is Brissett, their freshman, who really in the last three weeks has played better than anybody on their team. So they've gotten better, and we have too. So uh, you take some of those things, but you know, one of the things we try to show our guys is how much those two kids have improved so they don't think they're playing against a guy in February. They're playing against a guy in March. Okay, first of all, Mike Krzyzewski knew how to pronounce Dolzhai. He knows these players and can speak intelligently about their improvement because he saw them before. Now he had a little time to watch film. That interview was yesterday. Duke was out Saturday, so he had time. But he knows how to pronounce his name, whereas you're playing a random team that doesn't cross paths with Syracuse. They're like, whoa, that uh, that kid, I can't pronounce his name, but he can really shoot it. And that uh, that O'Shea guy. Now, <laughs> Mike Krzyzewski talks about them like they're on his own team, and he's dead right there about how playing for Bayheim you will improve as a player. This is what makes this matchup so fascinating to me because Jim Bayheim will not outcoach Mike Krzyzewski nor will Mike Krzyzewski outcoach Jim Beheim. It's going to come down to who has better weapons, and that's obviously Duke. Let's see what Drell and Clay thinks at 437-7644. Drell, what's up, bud? Hey, man. So players actually improve when they play for Coach Beheim? I, I never knew that because I'm shocked that happens. It, that's, it takes Mike Krzyzewski to say this, and so maybe some of the haters can um, you know, take that lesson in there, too. Obviously, sarcasm. If so, Mike Shashevsky is saying it, then it must be true, right? And it's funny because this is such right. a big rivalry, as you know, but everybody knows that follows these teams that there is an immense respect between Beheim and Shashevsky. So it's more like frenemies than it is rivals because Duke would never tell you that Syracuse is their main rival, but they have enough respect for Syracuse to say, yeah, we've had some great battles in the past few years, so you got to respect what they do. Absolutely. Now, I want to bring up the one point. I go back to the Indiana game of 2013. It would be really nice if Tyus Battle could have one of those Michael Carter-Williams nights against Indiana and, like, find his offense throughout the whole game. I think that, that I think that's going to be a key. I, we're going to have to – I still think this will be a low-scoring game. Does it come down to can we get enough points in? I think Merrick is playing much better than he ever was. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a close game, I believe, on Friday night. Obviously, Duke's, Duke's going to be the favorite, but let's have Ty's battle. I think that's the key. I wonder what your, what your thought is, Brent. Do we need Ty's battle to go Michael Carter-Williams, i.e. Indiana No question about it. No, Joe, the big three's got to be the big three. This can't be a two out of three. Well, O'Shea's having a great game, but Frank and Tyus are playing okay. This can't be a game where Tyus has a bad first half but makes up for it in the second half. That's why I keep coming back to this, and thanks for the call as always, buddy. Syracuse cannot be competitive against Duke in the same way they were competitive and defeated Arizona State, TCU, and Michigan State. We'll continue to talk about this coming up. I will also tease you with this. We know how Syracuse, New York loves their T-shirts. Well, we have got a Syracuse Believe T-shirt from Papa Sports to give away. It's a cool shirt. It's an orange T-shirt that says Syracuse Basketball Believe Still Dancing. So if you would like a shirt... Keep listening. We'll tell you how to get that here on the block. ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You are On the Block ESPN Radio. So glad to have you here. Happy Wednesday, everybody. A little sunshine in central New York today on this, the 
second day of spring. We're getting there, man. Dodge the latest nor'easter. Perhaps spring truly will be here. You know, because when I really get the itch, like most of you, is when it's Masters Week and you just see the greenest grass on earth and the azaleas and the piano music's playing. It's like I have to play golf. I need to get outside. So hopefully when Masters Week rolls around, it will not look like it does today, which is kind of like a road salt, gray, dirty snow mess that it is this time of the year. But we're getting there, man. We're coming out of the home stretch. The Orange are in the Sweet 16. It's tournament time. The Masters, the NFL draft, the hockey playoffs, the NBA playoffs. One of the great times of the year is, is ahead of us here in sports. But that's down the horizon. In the here and now, Hit me with that fancy open. Let's do some hot takes. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. Really uh, disturbing news from Buffalo Bills land. I don't know if you guys saw this. So, uh, Buffalo Bills wide receiver Zay Jones, who I thought was one of the great draft picks the Bills had last year, very high on the future of Zay Jones as a player. I thought they found a real gem there, who kind of got shoved out there because the Bills traded Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods, and he wasn't ready to be a number one receiver, but kind of had to take on that burden and I think made some big catches last year, learned from the, the passes he didn't haul in and the bad games that he had. Well, it looks like with all the focus on quarterback and other positions that the Bills are certainly going to have to add wide receiver to the mix because I don't know if you recover from something like this. So Zay Jones was arrested at a Los Angeles apartment building. He was seen, I'm reading this as it happened according to police reports, he was seen naked while pacing the building hallways yelling, I'm going to fight for Jesus. There's video of this, by the way, TMZ, which TMZ always gets this stuff. So it's not one of those hearsay stories. There is a video of this, and to watch that video kind of takes your breath away. So he got into a scuffle with his brother, Caleb Jones, who actually also plays in the NFL for the Minnesota Vikings. Now, according to accounts of the story, Zay smashed a 30th floor window and attempted to squeeze through the window before being restrained by his brother who held him until authorities arrived. And when you watch the video, there's blood smeared on the walls. Obviously, I don't know if he kicked the window while he was naked, and but it's very disturbing. And the first immediate thought you have is, thank God that his brother was there and restrained him and has put him in, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, in custody for his own safety. This obviously could have ended a lot worse. I'm not going to speculate as to why. You know, people will immediately say things like drugs or, you know, undiagnosed mental conditions or maybe a mental condition we didn't know about. What this reminds you of is you just never know what a person is like because everything that we heard about Zay Jones last year, I remember distinctly talking to our friend Matthew Fairburn about it, was one of the great character guys of the draft. Scouts loved him, loved his character, loved his life story. He's got a hell of a life story. 
which also I believe Matthew Fairburn wrote about in detail last year and did a great job doing it. But you never truly know somebody's life beyond, you know, particularly those in the spotlight. And now we live in a world where we see more and more of that and there's security camera footage and everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket with video. So when they see something like this happening, they whip out their phone and they take footage of it and TMZ has it within 24 hours. That's just kind of the world we live in. And it, you don't have to be a Kardashian to fall in that world. You just have to be someone who has some sort of significance that a headline will generate attention. So I sincerely hope that he gets the help he needs. Because Zay, from everything we heard, you know, was one of the great players in that locker room, up-and-coming star, up-and-coming talent. But, man, to hear something like this, you know, you push this down the road, but there is a football conversation to be had here. And I remember when I talked about there was a player, uh, boy, his his name is escaping me at the moment. Barrett is popping. It'll pop in my head in a moment. Remember, the Oakland Raiders had a player that went AWOL the night before the Super Bowl, and he had some issues with, you know, some medication he wasn't taking and some bipolar issues, and that was a huge, huge story. So it's that world you live in where you're crossing paths where you're like, okay, we're going to do everything to help this guy, but in reality, that's a position the Bills are very short on. So how much patience do you have? Do you get him treatment, get him back, get him back on the football field? Is that the right thing to do? Or you know, those are the tough decisions you have to make. Not today, not tomorrow, not next week, but it's something that you certainly have to think about. And the, the biggest thing you think about is, I hope he's getting some help that he needs. Cause, That's hot. Man, was that a wacky story to see. Now, going from that to on-the-field matters, <sighs> okay, let's take a breath here and see if they're going to fix this. The NFL Competition Committee is taking a proposal to next week's league meeting to clarify, <laughs> here we go, the definition of a catch. Okay. What do we got now? <sighs> I haven't even read this, and I'm just taking a deep breath. Okay, let's see. NFL Senior Vice President of Officiating, Al Riveron, offered a preview of what the catch rule might look like now. One, control. Two, two feet down or another body part. Uh-huh. Thirdly, a football move, such as a third step, reaching or extending for the line to gain, or the ability to perform such an act. Well, that just clears up everything. Implementation of any rule change requires the approval of at least 24 of the 34 teams, or 32 teams. Does that clear that up for anybody, by the way? What's a catch? I don't know. What do you think? Is it a catch? I don't know. Is it, do you think it's a catch? couple other NFL notes that I thought were very interesting that could get proposed or approved or just certainly will be discussed at this meeting. One is there is a proposal out there that the NFL's, you know, kind of headquarters in New York that oversees all the games, does the replay, you know, when they're on the headset, that's who they're talking to, may have now the authority to override the officials on the field to throw a player out of the game. So... Think of some examples in recent years where players went off, Odell Beckham Jr., for example, and did not get thrown out by their coaches. But the league that's overseeing it can basically buzz the ref in that stadium and say, he's out of here. I have to tell you, I really think that's a good idea. Take it out of the hands of the ref on the field, though they should be the ones that have the authority to do it and still do have the authority to do it. But 
if they screw up, Big Brother's watching, and they'll say, no, 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 no. And maybe the ref doesn't have time to think about this. Somebody in a league office is like, wait a minute. He violated a rule that should eject him immediately out of the game, which I don't care what kind of Forrest, you know, I was about to say Forrest Gump brain, but that's probably not the right way to put it. Rain Man brain, that's much better. That's much better. I don't care what kind of Rain Man brain you have about your knowledge of the NFL rules. So you just don't remember everything when you're moving so fast on the field. So if the NFL league office, the overseer, big brothers watching can say, look, hey, Gene Steratore, you forgot about this rule. He's, he's out of here. I'm for that. The other thing I saw, do you know what the price tag for the Carolina Panthers is now? I hear a comment is Kentucky head coach John Calipari. Billion dollars. That's a great guess, but more. The going rate now for the Carolina Panthers, who apparently Steph Curry wants in on, I don't know what he goes by these days. I'm just going to go with the latest that I know. P. Diddy, formerly known as Puff Daddy, right? When I knew him, he was Puff Daddy. I'm coming. Okay, I won't saying and embarrass myself any further. But do you know what the going rate is, no matter who wants to buy this team? Not billion dollars. Two point five billion dollars. That's the price. The last NFL team that was sold was the Buffalo Bills. Two point five billion dollars would be twice what the Pagool is paid. Now it doesn't sound a lot like one point five billion, two point five billion. That's a lot. Two point five billion. Just to just and that gets you the team. That's like that's where you're starting. Like, please write out the check for two point five billion dollars. That's a wow. That's high. Even by NFL standards. That's a big, big wow. Um, here's something I just do not continue to understand. And that is that Major League Baseball and the NFL and hockey and I understand there's a global market to be had there and you have to expand your horizons and it can make you some money. And this one didn't sit well with me, though. So Major League Baseball apparently is getting closer to playing their first game overseas. They're really behind on this. Hockey's done it. Football's done it. All the other major sports, certainly the NBA, has done this. So a two-game series set in London for June of 2019 would feature da-da-da-da-da-da. New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. Among the biggest U.S. sports, baseball is the only one that is not played in Europe. Now, by going there and playing baseball, it's interesting because you know what's big in, in Europe? Cricket. So will the cricket people be the ones that are there? Is there a market for this? Is there an, I, I think people would go just out of curiosity because those are two of the biggest brands in baseball. And from a business standpoint, that's really smart. You can't put, like, the Seattle Mariners against the Minnesota Twins there. you got to bring the big boys. you got to bring the Yankees. And you got to bring the Red Sox. And that's an easy trip for them because they're both East Coast teams and they can get back relatively quickly, and I'm sure they give them a couple days off in between. But there's just certain things that I understand but I don't have to agree with. There's certain things I get, but I'm just they kind of annoy me. And this is going to sound so, like, isolationist. Go America. But it's like, can't, like, now they play 9, 10, 11 games in Europe every year. There's talk that London might have an NFL franchise at some point. There are certain things that I think you see. No, it's okay that that is American. That is ours. Like, football is our sport. And maybe the NFL 
has the strong desire to put a franchise there because of the financial reasons for that, which I kind of understand. But there are unique things that make cultures what they are. And it's unique for if I go to Italy to experience that culture or China to experience that culture. I think sports, particularly football and baseball, are so uniquely American. And there's nothing wrong with kind of putting it in front of people in Europe or China or Asia or whatever the case may be so that they consume the product. It worked for basketball. But you know what worked best for basketball? Not that they put games in China, but Yao Ming was a number one draft pick and a great player here. right? It's Dirk Nowitzki. Why was there an uptick there? Because this is the ultimate destination. The NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, it's a two-way road. You put it in front of them, and that creates a whole generation that wants to do it. You know, when the Dream Team went to the Olympics in 92 in Barcelona, there's there's been stories written about this and, you know, all kinds of things about how that inspired an entire generation of, of European athletes to stop playing soccer and stop, you know, doing cricket and some of the other things that they do and play basketball. And that elevated the sport globally. But it ultimately will circle back here. So, okay, you want to play in London a couple games and and try and brand your sport out there. I mean, I kind of understand it, but there is a part of me that is that guy with the bumper sticker on his guy. No, that's that's America. That's baseball. You can't have that, too. That's hot. (laughs) The isolationist in me really comes out there. Go America. That's my sport. You can't have that. Who do you think you are? I wanted to mention this briefly because Jim Beheim does not make mistakes often. He doesn't. He's a very smart person. When he says things, generally they're true or within, you know, as the great Stephen Colbert would say, truthiness, right? Jim is one of the smartest commentators out there about a lot of things. One thing he really misfired on, though, one time, in my humble opinion, was when he suggested that the tournament expand to 96 teams. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We're barely getting over the finish line at 68, and you want 96 teams in this thing? So it was suggested, again, Dan Bickley of Arizona Central Sports suggested some changes to the NCAA tournament, proposing to add one more round of games, increase the number of programs invited to 96. Now, as part of that proposal, he uh, also proposed eliminating conference tournaments, calling them one of the most unfulfilling cash grabs on television, which is 100% correct. Syracuse fans might disagree because maybe they needed that win over Wake Forest just to further the resume a little bit. They're an annoyance, but they're a necessary fundraiser, and it really helps kind of fuel and build up the hype for the tournament, but the answer is not expanding the tournament. Now, have other sports expanded and, you know, you kind of got used to it? The hockey playoffs, the NBA playoffs, baseball expanded, and baseball fans were just ready to jump out windows. But that actually, that one-day playoff has actually built up some intrigue, that five-game playoff into the ALCS, into the World Series. That has worked. But if they keep bloating it up, it's going to dilute it. 96 teams in the tournament. So let me get this straight. Syracuse was 68 out of 68 and barely got over the finish line as a 20-13 and basketball team. So, yes, USC got left out and Notre Dame got left out and three or four other teams, but we're not talking about. So, 
68 got in, 96 proposed here. That's another what? We're not talking about 20, 30 teams that got snubbed from this thing. Well, what about the mid-majors? No. What I will give the selection committee, the NCAA, and anybody else I need to give a hat tip to credit for here is the tournament is the perfect size. It's hard to get into. It should be hard to get into, which will create some scenarios where you. I don't think you need to be the conference tournament winner to get an automatic bid from certain leagues. I think you should be rewarded for four months of basketball, not four days. But that takes care of only a few teams. It should be hard to get into. That's the point. 96, you want to talk about diluting the college basketball regular season to mean absolutely nothing? Put 96 teams in the tournament. And congratulations, you would have accomplished that. We will break on that note. We will come back with much more on Syracuse and Duke, including Lauren Brownlow joining us, David Glenn joining us. I've still got this great T-shirt and a pair of Snowcross tickets to give away. The Syracuse Believe T-shirt. From our friends at Papa John's. Papa John's. <laughs> no, no, no. I turned on Siri when I said that. Do you hear this? No, no, Siri. 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 Papa Sports. Siri. Find Papa Sports. Not Papa John's. <laughs> Papa Sports, as your official Believe in Sweet 16 t-shirts, we're going to be giving that away coming up as well. Stay right there. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Thank you. Bye-bye.